Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, Schiphol, the international airport in the Netherlands, is cutting the number of flights it offers in a nod to global warming. And an off-duty pilot comes to the rescue in an emergency on a Southwest flight last week. Details and more stories next in the news. Another story about a flyer leaving something on a plane and having it turn up at an airline employee's home. Is it time to get air tags for your travel belongings? The discussion heads our Smarter Traveler segment at 3.20. Clayton Whitehead is the man behind much of the international travel at Sports Leisure Vacations, planning and escorting groups overseas. International travel is booming, and at 3.35, Clayton gives his take on why that is and what the future might hold. Finally, at 3.50, Mark has a quick version of the weird travel news, featuring a weirdly landscaped shrub in Portland and a story about gate ice. Gate lice. Gate lice. I found that one pretty interesting. Gate lice. I I don't even know if I want to hear this. Okay, I can't wait. (laughs) And you will hear more about it around 3.50. Helping make you a smarter traveler, we are the Travel Guys. On the road again. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys, locally sourced right here at Sports Leisure Vacations. Thanks for coming along. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. Sunshine It's not all. raining. It's not. It it's is a not. Sunday. The Travel Guys are on the radio, and it's not raining. When was the last time that happened? I know what you mean. Boy, I tell you, as soon as the, the rains let up and the dry ground, the ground dried out a little bit, I was out mowing lawns and putting up mm-hmm. awnings and... Not too much, though. Uh, there are going to be more weeds to be pulled and more yes. lawn-type stuff to be done. The honeydew lists are growing all over Sacramento. As right, we but I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here because we've got another one that's, as you heard in the news there, that'll be rolling mm-hmm. in uh, Monday night. So we'll see how that goes. I'm headed well, for Cheyenne, Wyoming tomorrow morning. Where right. the for some for some uh, tour association meetings and uh, the we're going to be there for four days. The high temperature there is one day where the temperature is going to zoom up to fifty nine. Most of the uh, the other days it'll be in the thirties and and forties. Tomorrow when we land, it's supposed to be thirty one degrees and the wind's supposed to be blowing at thirty four miles an hour. So that would make the wind chill. I'm guessing somewhere in the single digits. Mm-hmm. So welcome to Cheyenne. In well, the... that's lovely. That's lovely. My brother lived in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, for uh, for quite some time. It's he actually one of my favorite there. places. It's it's really a nice, uh, really a nice town, and it's big enough to have a lot of services. Although not much air service because they're so close to Denver, so that makes it cheaper and easier. By the time you wait for a plane and get on one and fly up there, you could have gone and gotten a rental car, and you'd be pretty much in Cheyenne. So. Anyways, if I don't freeze to death, then I'm headed off to join a group in Hawaii, so probably not going to get much sympathy there. But you try and pack for a, for a trip where it's going to be 30 degrees some days and 75 degrees the other days, and, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to I – may, maybe I'll send my Hawaii stuff on ahead or something like that. Well, there you go. Now, uh, we've talked about this before. 
where you have these trips that are very, very close to one another, mm-hmm. where you literally have to pack uh, separate bags for each trip, and then you come home for a brief moment and swap out, you know, one set of luggage for another, and then jump on a plane and go to a completely different destination with completely different kind of weather. And and then I guess a few little odds and ends that are generic enough you can just keep on and going, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and in this case, literally Cheyenne and then back to Denver and then a seven-and-a-half-hour flight from Denver to uh, to Honolulu on, I don't know, one day next weekend to catch up with some very nice <laughs> sports leisure travelers who will already have been there enjoying the big island, and I'm going to show them a little bit of, of Honolulu. So... Um, Cheyenne, Wyoming to Hawaii. If the frostbite doesn't get me, why, then, you know, I should be okay. But I'll be back in time for it. We'll, I, actually, we're going to do the Travel Guys uh, live from Honolulu next week. All right. That'll be a lot of fun. You bring some special island color to the show. At the top of every Travel Guys radio show, we try to bring you back up to date with what's been going on in the travel news. And with the latest travel news, here's Mark. We said in the headlines that Amsterdam Airport, Schiphol, is doing something kind of unusual. Most airports and airlines have refrained from this sort of thing, but leave it to the folks in the Netherlands. Uh, The plan is part of the country's attempt to pursue a new balance between economic benefits derived from the airport and the airport's impact on area residents and the environment. So Schiphol is limiting the number of international flights in order, to, in order to help address the climate change crisis. Good for them. Also, in Europe, many of the large cities are so close to each other that the airplane flights, you, you spend way more time in the airport than you do on the airplane. So the train is a more reliable method of transportation in Europe, and they're hoping, hoping to grow that. So congratulations to the folks in the Netherlands for trying to cut back on the amount of crap that's put into the air by airplanes, which is something as a traveler that I have a little bit of problem with because I love to travel and travel involves airline flights and airplane uh, emissions are not helping the climate. So it's a little bit if you're, you know, if you if you if you care about the planet and you love to go places, it's a little bit of a of a of an a, an issue you know you have to kind of figure that out yourself as to which one so i'm glad that that the netherlands is taking some steps in that direction if you like national monuments the president has designated two this last week new ones one is spirit mountain in uh, nevada in southern nevada and the kastner range in west texas not too far from el paso um the the one in nevada is 506 thousand acres the one in uh texas is a little it's quite a bit smaller um it's only a little over six thousand acres both of them are sacred places for native americans in our country you can now live on a cruise ship it says the headline for thirty thousand dollars a year i know there are people who already do this on an informal basis but here a cruise line is offering you the opportunity um, to live on one of their cruise ships for an entire year for thirty thousand bucks. Wow! So, uh, what is that? Uh, you get your calculator out. How much is that a month for rent? Uh, yeah, well, that's only twenty five hundred dollars a month. Heck, you can barely rent a good apartment, um, two bedroom apartment for yeah. 
Uh, company is promising to tick off 375 ports around the world, visiting 135 countries and all seven continents. The ship will cover more than 130,000 miles over three years. You have to sign up for three years, and so it's 90000 bucks. You know what? Um, ship has 400 cabins, room for 1,074 uh, people. It is Life at Sea Cruises on the MV Gemini. So this is not a cruise line that I've heard of before, but I did look them up online, do a little homework. They look like they're fairly legitimate. Maybe we should ask Gwen Duncan about this, Thomas. Uh, living on, would you live on a cruise ship? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know if I, I could do that. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. That that's probably not my style, but it probably is a few people's style. Here's an update Gwen, from this. Gwen would Gwen would go yell on that. Yeah, she probably she would. Retired. She, Update for this from the city of Long Beach about the Queen Mary, the old ocean liner that is sitting uh, there in Long Beach uh, Harbor. It was open as a hotel and an entertainment venue for a number of years after it was retired as an ocean liner. It needed some repairs, and now the word is that the repairs are being done and that they expect to be finished Sometime in the next few weeks, they are hoping to reopen the ship in sections, starting with a restaurant or two and some shops, and then eventually the accommodations. So for those folks who enjoy a piece of floating history, the Queen Mary may be reopening soon. Yes, sir. Yeah, I had uh, I had uh, a dinner or a lunch on the Queen Mary many, many years ago. Had a caterpillar in my salad. <laughs> a caterpillar in your salad. Where did that comment come from? Just that's your Queen I, Mary rem- memory, that's, huh? That's 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 it, man. I hope that that's the one thing they're just going to need to fix if I'm going to go there. I guess. Should I ask if the caterpillar was alive or not? Yes, it yes, was it alive. Was. Oh yeah, what are the little <laughs> small furry ones, you know? <laughs> I, and I just pointed it out it. to them, and they said, and they said, "Sir, no extra charge." No extra charge. I can only imagine if you had. You know, put the caterpillar in your mouth. What a sensation that would have been of eating a salad with something that's furry and moving um, in your mouth. Anyway, we, we digress here. Back to the travel news. American Airlines has issued a warning to flight attendants, a uh, warning of a new goal of 100% uniform compliance. Apparently, American Airlines flight attendants have been taking little liberties with their uniform, adding little things, subtracting little things, doing little things, and the people at American are not all that tremendously pleased about it. The most interesting part of this whole news item is that the warning to the flight agents that was issued by Americans Management is full of grammatical errors, and it looks like a <laughs> it looks like a third grader wrote it with apologies to third graders. And I'm just thinking, if you were an American Airlines flight attendant who followed the rules and you wore your uniform the way you're supposed to, and this came out from headquarters and said, all right, you know, we're going to crack down on all these folks who are not following the rules and the like, and it was written in this fashion. Would it make you wonder if you were working in the right place or not? Yeah, I'd, I'd just question whether it might be just a joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's the, it, if, if your coworkers are making a joke of the attire and now management is trying to do something about it and it comes out and looks like a parody anyway, at American Airlines, something is going on. The government is pushing for a new airline passenger bill of rights. You've heard this from us before during a recent hearing of the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. Chairperson Maria Cantwell said the updated protocols would include, quote, 
strengthen refund rules, eliminate junk fees, work towards a minimum seat size, and make it easier for families to sit together on a flight. We must take down the hurdles to getting your money back when you don't receive the service you paid for. And she goes on about lines that we've heard before, and my only reply is the same reply I've had for the last several months here, and that is just do it. Stop talking about it. We all know what the problems are. Just fix Just it. Do it. Yeah. Just fix it. it. Either that or the airline lobbyists win again. So one of those two things happen. Either you pass something with some teeth in it because you're serious about this, because you folks in Congress fly all the time and you know what these problems are, or you don't. So stop talking about it and do something about it. Damn it. <clears throat> An off-duty pilot came to the rescue during a cockpit emergency on a Southwest flight this week from Los Angeles to Columbus. Shortly after departure, the pilot needed some immediate medical attention. The off-duty pilot, this is very interesting, Tom, he did not work for Southwest. He was from another airline. Mm -hmm. It's very common for for pilots to be what they call deadheading. To, from mm-hmm. one city to another to position themselves, and they don't always use their own airline because sometimes other carriers are have more convenient flights or you know their flight may be full or, heaven forbid, canceled or something like that. So it's not uncommon, just like if you've been on an airplane before, I've had this happen many times in my career in the, in the industry, where they will come on and say, look, we have a medical emergency on board. Is there, is there a doctor on board or someone who can help us? It's amazing the percentage of times that someone says, yes, you know, I'm a registered nurse or I'm a doc- I'm somebody who legitimately can help you in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so apparently they're talking about that more than half of the flights have a pilot on them or pilots who are repositioning or going someplace. And so that's kind of encouraging to know. Uh, but in this case, the pilot needed uh, some assistance. They The flight returned safely to Las Vegas. Uh, the medical emergency was never announced to the public. But anyway, the pilot is doing okay. And the credential pilot who was on board got into the flight deck and assisted with radio communication. And remember, we were talking last week about the fact that, you know, if you think you can land an airplane, you really can't. Um, if you watch the movies and you think that, wow, that would be really cool, the possibility of you being able to pull that off are like two chances slim and none and slim just left town. So uh, anyways, congratulations here that uh, in this particular emergency, uh, the plane was safely landed back in Las Vegas. The pilot was taken care of, and it's nice to know that more times than not, there's a pilot on board your airplane that you don't know about. What about, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's thinking this, what about the co-pilot? Well, there's co-pilot, but there's a reason there's two of them up there. Is right. because there are situations where there are things for more than one person to do. I see. And if you're trying to communicate with the ground, and as we pointed out last week, just knowing you know what switches to move and dials and be on frequency such and such to be able to hear them and switch over to this frequency now and stuff like that is something that is not for a layman to do. Never mind the never mind the physical landing of the airplane. So, but encouraging to know that that oftentimes there are frequently there are pilots deadheading on an aircraft. And the other thing is that uh, that they're more than willing to jump up and jump into the breach. So, I mean, that provides a kind of an extra measure of safety that I wasn't really aware of before. And that is your travel news for today. All right, Mark. Let's talk about uh, a recent incident where uh, somebody 
somebody, somebody's. Uh, well, you. T- I'll let. I'll let you do it. Go. For yeah. It. Well, this is kind of similar to something that happened to me seven years ago. I left an iPod, iPad, on a plane, United plane in Chicago, and I had on that item a tracking device. And so I watched as it left the airport and went to some place in Chicago, and I contacted the United Place first about lost and found, and then said, hey, you know, I think I know where this is. And it doesn't appear to be on the airport grounds anymore, and United found it and got it. It was a United employee who had it, and it was brought back to me, and and I was reunited with it when I went back through Chicago about four or five days later. Uh, I have no idea whatever happened to the employee or anything like that. We have reported on this program a couple times about people who have had tracking devices on their personal items, and one was a bag, and United kept telling the gentleman that, you know, the bag is in this city, and he's like, no, it isn't. It's in Chicago, and I know this because I'm looking at it, right? The the picture of, of where it is right now. So anyway, this lady was coming home from Japan. She got off in San Francisco to change planes. She left a jacket on the plane with her eye, with her AirPods in it. She got on to the next plane. Uh, on the way to the next plane, she realized she'd left it, went back, tried to get back on the plane. Of course, they wouldn't let her on. Um, she went to, got on her second plane. And because she had this tracking device, she was able to see that somebody took the jacket with the the iPods off the uh, off the airplane, AirPods off the plane. She got the jacket back before she left San Francisco, but somebody had gotten into the pocket and taken the AirPods out. But because she had a tracking device on it, she watched as she flew to Seattle, and then in the days that followed, as that as those device as the device showed that the AirPods had gone to a United Cargo area, and then to a place in, to a residence in South San Francisco. She contacted United. United indeed found out that while it wasn't an employee, it was a contractor that worked for a food services operation for the airline that had them, and she got them back. Again, no word on what happened to the employee uh, or the contractor or how it got to where it was. The point of all this is you can buy things that you can attach to your personal items, your phone, your bags, whatever, that you can buy them. They're four for 100 bucks. We put a link at TravelGuysRadio.com. You can buy them from Amazon or from Apple or from all kinds of different people, and you can put them. I have one in my suitcase. I have one attached to my phone. Here's the deal. It's not the big deal because some airline employee is going to steal it. That's probably a, a, a one-off thing and doesn't happen too often. Maybe it will happen to you. Maybe it won't. But what if you dropped your phone underneath the bed in the hotel? Sure. Or what if your bag was not at your destination and the airline was saying, we don't know where it is, and you're saying, I know where it is. It's in Fargo, North Dakota. And the airline says, oh, okay, well, share that information with us. And sure enough, in a couple days, your bag gets back to you. So the point of this isn't because airline employees and staffers are stealing all of people's stuff. That probably happens occasionally. The point is, if you lose your stuff, this is a great way to know where it is. I mean, imagine losing your cell phone on the road and being able to locate it and get it before you moved on to the next destination. That would be a big deal. So I'm suggesting to you, if you are a frequent traveler, it is indeed time 
to get some of these devices, and you can move them from different devices. Uh, I know mine keeps trying to tell me I finally had to set it because it kept telling me every time I left my house, my phone would bing and say, hey, you left your, your suitcase. is no longer with you. <laughs> and, you know, so I had to tell it, well, that's at my house, so don't worry about that particular location. But it's it's helpful when I'm traveling. It tells me I can figure out if my bag has been transferred to my next flight yet because I'm sitting on the new airplane and the thing pings and it shows me that, you know, the bag is 15 feet away from me. So that tells me it's in the belly of the aircraft. Um, so I just think this is helpful to not only track bags, but also for things that might be lost in hotels and the like. Consider getting yourself some of these air tags and attaching them to or putting them with things that are important to you and remembering that you can change it from time to time. It's amazing. Uh, so they're small enough that they can actually be attached to a cell phone? They can. The interesting thing is that I would think, Tom, is that with you know, AirPods or a cell phone or something like that, the person who was taking it would realize immediately, unless they were really stupid, that there was a tracking device on there. So I'm going to guess that if just having the tracking device might be a deterrent to people because they're real hard to get off of. If you attach it to the back of a cell phone, it's pretty hard to get it off. So therefore, if you were somebody who was looking to steal that phone or make, make off with it, you might say, eh, I don't really want to take this with me. It's got a tracking device. Clayton Whitehead joins us today. Clayton hasn't been a guest on the Travel Guys for a while because mostly Clayton is running around the country slash planet, and it's the planet that we want to talk to him about today. He's become quite the expert in international travel, has a Scotland trip and a Greek Isles trip coming up still um, this year. So, Clayton, why is international travel so suddenly so popular? Well, I think it's a lot of things, really. Um, I learned way back in high school, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, you know, for the last three years, we've been told we can't, we can't, we can't, we shouldn't, we can't and we shouldn't. But now we can and we should and we are. And, we're, and we are in big numbers. Every plane I get on, no matter where it's going, is packed. And so international travel is, is you, you, you put in the same category is domestic travel people have not been able to go for a while so they've got not only the list of the places that they wanted to go before covid but a list of places that they decided they wanted to go while covid was going on and they were at home doing their homework exactly and i'm still talking to a lot of people i meet like in the airport lounge or sitting in the gate area so many people are still cashing out vouchers you know postponed Uh, travel during the pandemic a lot of people are still trying to work those out through the system and, and uh, you know, uh, take advantage of, of dollars they spent two, three, four years ago and uh, get those off the books so they can start dreaming about something completely new. Tom, doesn't that sound that that sounds like maybe one of the most logical answers that I've heard to this whole travel buildup thing since we got started getting back on airplanes and the like is that the reason people are traveling is because they've got things that tell them they can travel for free or at, a, or at a seriously reduced price. I absolutely think so. And despite all the inconveniences and despite the extraordinarily escalating prices of air and hotels and all the other little components you need, even if you're just going to be ultimately using a voucher, you know, you have to get there and you have to get home. Even though all these things are costing a lot more, it doesn't seem to be slowing people down. People are out there. They're traveling in great numbers. Um, and also, I kind of sense a real positive at- attitude uh, at the airports now. It's been kind of exciting, actually. 
So is this a trend? Do you feel like that when these vouchers go away, when people have used all of these in can't be too much longer, will that will we see then a fall off in travel when people have to start paying? For it? So I, I'm intrigued by your by your answer with the vouchers, because I, I, I do believe you're on to something. And I dare I say, I haven't seen anybody else say this or write this anywhere. But this is stuff is burning a hole in people's pockets. So when yeah. it's no longer burning a hole in people's pockets, does that change things or will or has travel been reordered on a permanent basis? I think and I also hope it's the latter. I, I think people are hungry for travel. I think we as humans since the dawn of time have been hungry to see the world around us. And there's never been a greater time than now to do it. Because the planet is just getting smaller and smaller. Planes are getting faster. You can even go to the moon if you want to or someplace up in space. I'm not sure where they're going exactly. But probably the moon before too much longer. So, you know, I I think it's exciting. And I think people who have a travel bug, people who've got the wanderlust, it doesn't go away. I mean, Mark, you and I both know that. It doesn't go away. It just keeps going and going. And we keep going as long as we can. Is there more interest in certain types of destinations? Are people are people interested in places they perceive as safe, or are they going for the big box on the display? Is is the guy in California looking at the British Isles because English is spoken there, or is he looking at Africa because it's it's well, more exotic? I, I think it's I think different people are motivated by different factors. I mean, obviously, my lens on the traveling public is through the eyes of a tour company. So I'm looking primarily at senior adults. Perhaps they're a little bit more physically conservative. Perhaps they're just a little bit more conservative in general. Um, I will say that when I decided to relaunch international travel with our company, I picked Ireland. And I picked it for two, well, a number of reasons, but not the least of which was it appears and feels safe. They speak English, which makes you feel safe. And I've got a lot of friends in Ireland. You know, and I thought, you know, if, if, if something really terrible happened, God forbid, mm-hmm. and we all got stuck, I have resources there. I have a lot of friends in that country. So you were kind of, as the as the person in charge and responsible for these people's well-being, you were the safety net. Uh, yes. I mean, that's how I view myself, and I think that's part of what people pay for when they go on an escorted tour, is that big old safety net. Yeah. And I'm being equally conservative in this calendar year. I'm doing Scotland. Um, I don't have quite as many friends in Scotland, but almost as many, and I feel safe there, and I feel confident, and I sold it with confidence, and it sold out, so I guess I did a good job. Yeah, uh, I still have a few seats left on my Greece tour. I mean, that's getting a little further afield, not an English-speaking country, right. but I feel very confident with the ground operator I'm working on. I've had a long relationship with him through our, our International Travel Association, and um I feel safe there. So off we go to Greece. Clayton, as you put together your uh, your 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 trips overseas, uh, based on past experience, do you find that everything has, when you were booking, is, is more expensive than it was uh, the last time you booked? You know, Europe is a mirror image of what we're seeing on our own continent. Everyone has a help wanted sign. Everyone, as in Everyone has a help wanted sign and you're having to make little tweaks on a daily basis because this place isn't staffed adequately or that place has reduced its hours because they don't have adequate staff. It all seems to come down to staffing. And yes, prices are definitely on the rise all over 
uh, all over the world, certainly throughout Europe and North America, and I include uh, Canada and Mexico in that. Every place I look at is is more than a little bit more <laughs> than it was last year. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to inflation, and this has happened before, I, I've been around long enough to remember when we've had spikes of inflation previously, how we tend to politicize something that fits in this category, no matter, it doesn't matter which side of, of it you're on. If, if your people are in power, then you don't see it as so bad. And if your people are not in power, you see it as terrible. But all around the planet, inflation in this country has been a highly politically charged item now for a while. However, inflation is bad all over the planet. So it's not something that we invented here in the United States. It's related to this whole COVID thing. And you can make arguments on each side of the coin, but the reality is that they're dealing with this. Prices are going up everywhere, some places more than in the United States. You're having to deal with this. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to The Travel Guys, Mark and Tom, our special guest, Clayton Whitehead, international traveler and uh, president of Sports Leisure Vacations. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Clayton. I want to talk about my hedge on 2024. Okay. We'll, we'll, we can talk to Kelly Brothers and see if, I'm, if this is a good investment move. Okay. But, um, you know, I, I played it safe last year. I went to Dublin and Belfast and little places all around and in between. This year, I'm also kind of playing it safe. I'm going to Scotland. I'm going to Athens. I'm going to you know, major destinations throughout the country of Greece. Next year, I'm really thinking of going off the grid because... I'm finding the prices in Amsterdam, in Paris, in London, in these major destination cities to be so high. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at, like, the Azores off the coast of Portugal. I'm looking at uh, a trip that's all Czech Republic. I'm looking at a trip that's uh, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Now, if my life depended on telling you exactly where on the map they are, I couldn't do it. I know generally. But, you know... Th- this is, I mean, this is this is politics and this is economy as well. You know, when when things go high, it gives people who are farther down on the food chain an opportunity to shine. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that Estonia is a lovely place to visit and has great, incredible things to see. I've never been there, but if the price is right, I'm willing to go and give it a try. Mm-hmm. And I think the the price is right in a lot of these second tier european destinations right now so the higher prices are not only resulting in i mean as you say and and i would say this too although there is starting to be some pushback in some destinations but people are willing to pay these higher prices to go but because the prices have got higher the difference between the haves and the have-nots in the tourism world has gotten greater so now some of the folks who are a little tired of paying those high prices can find secondary and tertiary destinations that may be a little more interested in having them than the major destinations. So it may be a time to to start looking at some of these places who are trying to put their best foot forward and take advantage of the tourism boom as we have it right now. Absolutely. And, you know, so much of the European experience is what? Castles, cathedrals, <laughs> castles, cathedrals, castles, cathedrals. That's that, you know, that's what you go to Europe for. That's what you see. Few ruins along the way, castles, cathedrals, and ruins. And you know, I'm doing my research on these these places I've not been before, like like Lithuania. 
I knew a lady from Lithuania once. That's about all I, I got, you know. <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful country and it has a rich history and it's got castles and cathedrals. So I'm like, okay, let's go there. Let's go do that. And thankfully, I have an adventurous client base. I mean, I only need 20 or 30 people to make it so. People will follow you anywhere. I think I can find that many people who (laughs) maybe knew a lady from Lithuania once and wants to go check it out. Uh All right. All right. Clayton Whitehead, president at Sports Leisure Vacations and our international travel expert, sharing some of his thoughts on international travel. When you you go internationally, you went to Ireland Mm -hmm. this past summer. So when you traveled internationally, you said... Planes are just as full. Tourism spots are just as crowded and just as there there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people chasing a few places. There are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people traveling. Um, I, I think this was a theme of your show last weekend. I'll reiterate it. If your passport has expired, if your passport is within uh, six months of expiring, Go ahead and renew it now because the system is majorly bogged up. It's taking weeks to months to get a renewal and to get new passports. And you don't want to dream the dream, make the reservations, pay the money, and then have Uncle Sam you know, keep you here because you don't have your little book with your picture Or in have it. to worry about it for the two months before you exactly. travel. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, to Clayton's reference, we did talk last week about if you have a passport that is in its even last year, and you're an international traveler, and you know you're going to travel internationally again, it would be a good time to send it in and get it renewed and just have it back in the good pile Absolutely. so that you can, you can go. Clayton, thank you so much uh, for your wisdom and your insights. You have a little different point of view on international travel than most folks. You know, people who are tour directors, who take groups of people places, I find tend to have a little different view of things than just a single traveler who goes someplace. Because every time you go, you get 15 or 20 or 30 opinions of how people... I mean, I just came back from spring training, and we work really hard down there to get people really good seats that are not in the sun, that are in good locations. And the people were like, every day, they were like, wow, these are really great seats. And I was just thinking to myself, well, you know, that's this is what we do. So when you take people to foreign countries... You're, like you said, you're their safety net. You're already thinking when you're planning the tour, you know, what if I get here and something goes wrong or I can't, you know, how do I get away from here or all of that kind of jazz? You do homework that other people then don't have to do and, dare I say, might not even think of doing. Absolutely. Thank you, sir, for your time today. And uh, you are headed out on a trip to the Carolina coast. Yeah, Charleston and Savannah. Of course, that sells the tour. But I trick people into going place to places that I really, really, really love that maybe aren't as familiar, like Myrtle Beach, which I just think is the greatest beach on the planet because I went there every summer as a little boy, and therefore it is the greatest beach on the planet. <laughs> and also, we'll spend two days uh, just meandering through the Outer Banks of North Carolina place that I find most Californians don't have much of an affinity with. Maybe they've never even heard of it. And it's one of the the great geological features of the eastern seaboard. So much history, so much natural beauty. So that's how our trip starts. And if you're going to the Outer Banks, dare I say, you better go now because they're outer, the Outer Banks are not are not going to be the Outer Banks very much longer. Yeah, they're washing away. Yeah, they are. And the homes that are on them. Thank you, Clayton. A pleasure, Mark and Tom. We'll see you next time. So, castles, cathedrals, and ruins. And ruins. We're like, 
It's the thing that, that Clayton likes to take people. And that's to see. the that's from a guy who likes going to Europe. <laughs> and castles, cathedrals, and ruins. And, and when you sit and you think about it, I'm not as as, as established of a European traveler as he is, but yeah, yeah, it, it's it's been there longer, you know, human settlement wise than the United mm-hmm. States. I mean, Old Native world. Americans and stuff here, but but they haven't left quite as rich of it. They didn't leave quite as many castles, cathedrals, and ruins as the uh, conquering people in Europe did. Yeah, and and Mark, uh, his, his specialty. Uh, is strikes, uh, <laughs> balls, and home runs, uh, taking people to baseball games. Every traveler the, is different. What would be comparable three things on Route 66, my traveler? What would be comparable three things? Well, Route 66 is about old things, so that's, you know, it's not quite as old as, as Europe. I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. I'll I'll... I'll, I'll get back to you next week on that. I'll come up with some <laughs> castles, cathedrals, and ruins, the equivalent on Route 66. I, I, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. Uh, okay, Mark, where do we start? With uh, gate lice? Uh, well, yeah, let's, gonna... yeah let's, let's, let's start we, with the we... gate. These are two really interesting <laughs> stories. Um, and um, they just don't, didn't fit in the regular news at the beginning of the program, so we've We've saved them for the end of the program. Now, this is an article. I would call this clickbait, except for one the one item that I got out of it. Um, it's a, a, a man who has been a flight attendant for 10 years, and hypothetically he's sharing his tips on you know boarding an aircraft and getting settled and how to get the best seat and all that kind of stuff. It's about five pages of copy, about 2,200 words. And there isn't a single t- travel tip in here. <laughs> so, however, what I found really interesting was this gentleman says, you know, those people who crowd the gate, even when there's still an hour left until boarding, the flight pulls, the plane pulls up and the people get off and immediately they go stand in line. He says flight attendants have and if gate attendants have a word for that, according to him, to this uh, flight attendant, he says, it's not something you want to be called. They call, they refer to you as gate lice. Oh, my. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's rude. Um, it's, uh, and, and see, here's the thing is, it, it, these folks are, they're trying to be the first in their group to board, or as this gentleman explains, uh, in some cases, they're trying to get on the flight early. They may be trying to use kindness to get on the flight early, or they may just be bluffing their way on board, hoping that the person who's, looking at the boarding passes as they go through the little dinger thing there, it's not going to catch the fact that you're in boarding group five and unaccompanied minors are boarding and you're 63 years old and you're boarding with them. Um, So in some cases, this gentleman admits that some people get away with these things. If you look nice and the person isn't paying a lot of attention, you can sometimes get away with it. But he also explains that a lot of people pay money to move up in the boarding group to be higher in the boarding process. So the airlines now have gotten a, a little bit more careful about not letting people, especially since it's easy now, you're, you you put your boarding pass on a machine, and on the screen it shows your name and your boarding group and everything. So it's very obvious to the person who's manning that gate that you're in boarding group five and we're only boarding group two. So at this that point, they can either shame you or not. And 
what this gentleman points out is that more often than not, now people are being shamed because there are financial considerations. The airline has collected money from people to move up in that boarding process. But just be aware of the fact that if you're one of those people who just kind of hangs around up there way before boarding time, that uh, the airline employees have a a rather non-complimentary name for people mm-hmm. who do that. They call them gate lice. Gate lice. Oh, boy. Gate lice. Well, okay. I, I feel a little better about it because, you know, I've, <laughs> you were concerned. I'm very, very I knew. careful when I travel to make sure that I don't bring any kind of lice home. And uh-huh. uh, with that being said, I guarantee you I will not be bringing one of the gate lice home with me. <laughs> um, the other That's story sure. in our weird travel news here is about a shrub in or in Oregon which has been stopping traffic and the reason it's become a travel story is because um this lady's shrub is drawing people from outside of Portland now who are making it a point to stop and see her shrub uh you can find a link to it at travelguysradio.com yes sir you were about to say something yeah it, it's it's actually i i don't know if it's a shrub it looks like a hedge you think it's a hedge Well, yeah, because it's because hedges are those that you can, you know, you can conform and mold into the shape of whatever you want if you work at it long enough. It's a 12 foot foot tall shrub, and she has decided to carve it, to have it landscaped in the shape of, um, let's see, how do we say this on the radio, of uh, a man's private parts. A penis. I think you can say penis on the radio, can't you? You can, yes, if we're using it in a technical term or an artistic term. Well, that's exactly what this lady has done. She has um, shaped this shrub in the front of her yard. If you go to TravelGuysRadio.com, there's a short video that talks about it and shows you the shrub. She's decorating it seasonally. So Mm -hmm. for Halloween and for Christmas... And for different holidays, for St. Patrick's Day, she's decorated the shrub. And and some people would say, well, what do her neighbors think? Well, she went and asked her neighbors before she did it. And they either said, yeah, go for it. Or, you know, we really don't care. Um, I I might wonder what the neighbors think now that people are starting to show up and take selfies on the street with the shrub. But uh, anyways, it's a provocative shrub. Go to TravelGuysRadio.com and you can see it. All right. We're at the end of the program, my friends. Don't forget TravelGuysRadio.com for more information to make you a smarter traveler. Dance like nobody's watching, and we'll see you next week live from Honolulu right here on the Travel Guys. All right. Stay well, my friends. Go Kings.